In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. At midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our lessons before us this morning set us a central aspect of our hope as Christians, the second coming of Christ, the return of our Lord. The epistle aims to comfort and to strengthen us by teaching us to view our death in light of our Lord's return, in light of our Lord's victory over death. As St. Paul writes, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The gospel aims to spur us to be prepared at all times for Christ's coming, to be ready to greet him at the unknowable hour of his coming, when the voice will cry out, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Do you see how both of our texts this morning speak of the same thing? The epistle's shout corresponds exactly to the cry at midnight, announcing the coming of the bridegroom. Both speak of the same event, our Lord coming in glory, bringing heaven to earth, coming to dwell with us in the creation made new. And both St. Paul and St. Matthew aim to transform our desires, to teach us to desire nothing more than this event, the coming of our Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, St. Paul says. He tells us what is to happen, and in so doing teaches us to long for that very thing. And our Lord himself, in his great parable, compares the coming, his own coming to the coming of the bridegroom, the life of the world to come, to a wedding. And can you think of a more joyful communal experience than the joy of a wedding in which you know the bride and the groom are meant for one another? In their different ways, both passages proclaim the joy that we are made for, for the unimaginable joy that our Lord prepares for those who love him. And they invite us to learn to desire nothing more than to come to his eternal joy. This morning I want to focus on our Lord's own preferred image for his coming, namely a marriage feast, a great wedding. Twice in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus compares his coming kingdom with a marriage feast. First in the parable of the royal marriage feast that occurs in chapter 22, and then in our parable of the ten virgins from Matthew 25. That it occurs twice, I think, serves to underscore its significance to our Lord. It's such a significant image that it returns to it at least twice. And this is entirely in keeping 
with the witness of the whole canon of scripture, which regularly uses marriage to figure the relationship between God and his people, to set forth God's love for us. So for example, in Isaiah 62, the Lord says to Israel, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And the whole canon of scripture closes with St. John's vision of the marriage supper of the Lamb in his revelation. John hears a voice crying out and singing praises to God because the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife has made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. And again he hears, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And by the way, if you've ever heard our own blessed Father Marlin celebrate Holy Communion, you've heard him use this text at the invitation for communion, where we say, behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. And he always adds these words, blessed are they which are called to the supper of the Lamb, reminding us that every time we come to the Eucharist, we anticipate this great hope of ours to come to the marriage supper of Christ the Lamb. Later, St. John sees the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. These and many other texts, in both the Old Testament and the New, play on nuptial imagery to speak of the love of God for his people. Perhaps, above all, that great love poem, which is near the very heart of the canon of scripture, the Song of Songs. As the theologian Henri de Lubac says, the two testaments are the two lips of the spouse, revealing the same secret, giving the same kiss. The word of God uses the image of a marriage feast to speak of the unspeakable. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. For as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Let's look at how our Lord uses this imagery in our gospel this morning, the parable of the ten virgins. It is an allegory. The bridegroom, whose coming is delayed, is, of course, Christ himself. The ten virgins represent the church. Notice that they are at once the wedding guests, invited to welcome the bridegroom with burning lamps, and also collectively, in a sense, the bride. They represent the calling of every Christian, individually, and of the church corporately, to be the bride of Christ. This nuptial imagery speaks of the fidelity and devotion, of the response of love, which ought to characterize our lives as Christians. The burning lamps which the virgins carry might suggest a life set on fire with the love of God. As one monastic commentator, Father Simeon, puts it, 
the lamps the virgins carry can symbolize an interiorly burning heart that simply by burning and giving light gives continual witness to the world of God's faithful, transforming presence. Their light suggests the wholehearted joy by which the Christian reciprocates the loving advances of her Lord. In other words, the burning lamps symbolize the active living out of the Christian life. They are, in a sense, the fruit of the Spirit, faith active in love. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus says, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But for lamps to shine, of course, they must have fuel to burn. And that's where the oil comes in, the oil which the wise virgins bring and the foolish ones do not. How can we think about this oil? The oil for the virgin's lamps recalls the pure beaten olive oil that the people of Israel were to provide for the menorah, the seven-branched candelabrum that was to burn continually in the temple in God's presence. The oil, that is, that is extracted from crushed olives and brought and freely offered to God. It symbolizes, in other words, our individual lives deliberately offered up to God in loving devotion. The oil says, in effect, to use Father Simeon's words, I give myself to you wholly and beyond recall for you to do with as you please. It represents my offering of myself, soul and body, to God in gratitude and in joy, and in actuality and not just an intention. If this is so, it enables us to interpret the folly of the five foolish virgins who bring their lamps but do not bring oil. They fail to offer themselves actually to God. Listen to how Father Simeon describes them. They are spiritual freeloaders, he says. They simply assume that they do not have to work for their own oil, that in a pinch anyone's oil will burn just as nicely in their own lamps, that they should not strain themselves too much, because there are many others in the world who will gladly do this work for them that they therefore can relax in an attitude of entitlement and allow others to fill in the gap for them. That is to say, I think they represent a kind of temptation for the Christian to just presume on our status as baptized Christians and not to actually live out our lives as Christians, not to actually embody the promises and vows that we make in our baptism where we turn from sin and turn to God but instead rather coasting along, assuming that others in the church will pick up the slack for us. This understanding of the folly of the foolish virgins helps us to explain the apparent lack of charity on the part of the wise virgins. I think when we first read the parable, we're a little bit surprised that they refuse to give the other virgins the oil. Isn't it just the Christian thing to do to give to others when they ask you? But if we think about the oil as just embodying a life that is offered up to God, then their refusal to share that oil is just the recognition that this is something that cannot be shared, that no one else can give myself to God but me. 
that again, quoting Father Simeon, no one else can look Christ in the eyes and utter the essential, I love you, in my stead. That there can be no such thing as a vicarious kiss. The ending of the parable makes it clear that our Lord intends it to be a mirror in which we learn to see ourselves aright. That we are to hold it up to ourselves and to ask whether we are more like the wise virgins or more like the foolish. And the fate of the foolish virgins, that they come and the Lord tells them that he does not know them, it is meant to prick our conscience, to call us to repentance, to deepen our love for Christ Jesus, to seek to know him, to be known by him. The parable calls us to not delay in giving ourselves totally over to Christ the bridegroom, to Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, to Christ who desires to see his love answered in our eyes. If you have ever loved someone, think of the joy that comes when you look with love in their face and see love looking back at you. Think also, maybe when you've loved someone and you look at their face and you see to your chagrin that that love is not reflected back to you. And you see something of what the parable is trying to show us. My dear brothers and sisters, the Lord loves us, loves you and loves me so much more than we can possibly imagine. He has made us for joy. He invites us to share in his eternal joy. He is our bridegroom. And at his coming, we shall be called out to meet him with our lamps burning, with hearts burning with love. Let us not delay in giving ourselves to him. Watch therefore, for ye know not the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.